Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I've got a fantastic guest for you today, but real quick before we get to them, I have to tell you about Certified Piedmontese because this is a brand I am so excited about. In fact, I will never forget the first time I had Certified Piedmontese. The crown jewel of my initial visit to Casa Bovina was a beautiful rib cap that was so lean and tender, it was almost silky in texture. The moment that beef hit my taste buds, I was hooked. These animals are raised all natural on a network of family ranches across the Midwest, so Certified Piedmontese is able to cut out the middleman and buy directly from the source. And while I highly encourage you to check out Casa Bovina, you can savor this beef at home, too. Whether you order off Piedmontese.com or by calling one 800 414-3487, your purchase will be shipped directly to your front door. Plus, when you use my discount code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, you get 25% off your order. How can you beat that? So what are you waiting for? Get some steaks, burgers, bacon, or other meats and experience the certified Piedmontese difference for yourself today. And now, to my guest. Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm your host, Dan Hoppin'. And yes, this is still a food podcast, but today we're bringing some beer into the equation as well. Uh, the Jukes family has made their mark in Elkhorn, first with beer, but when people realized how good their food was, they started coming out to the brewery to get some bites too. And that's why I want to feature them on the podcast today. And to talk about Jukes Ale Works, I've got three members of the Jukes family here with me, Brad, Kyle, and Jake. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for having us. All right, a few housekeeping notes right up front. Um, first, just in case anyone was listening to this and was like, where is Jukes? I want to visit. Jukes is located in downtown Elkhorn off the corner of North Main Street and Elkhorn Drive. So got the address there. And just because we have multiple voices on the podcast today, I would love for the three of you to each introduce yourself, say your role within uh, Jukes Ale Works, and just so people can identify voices. Brad, let's start with you. So Brad Jukes, I am front of house manager, uh, kind of take care of oversee all operations up front. Um, I do work my way into the brewery a little bit here and there, but not too terribly much. So, yeah. I'm Jake Jukes. I'm the head cook. Uh, I run all operations in the kitchen. Um, basically, yeah, just have fun in the kitchen and do what I can. I am Kyle Jukes. Uh, I run and operate the brewery entity of the business and um, try to throw ideas at the kitchen whenever I can. And we try to kind of co-mingle the beer and the food aspect of things whenever we can. I definitely want to get into that because I find it so fascinating with a lot of uh, bars and breweries, like the food is really just kind of there as something that like people share while they're drinking, or maybe it's there to like, you know, there's some greasy appetizers, like soak up the alcohol. There aren't a lot of breweries or bars that people are going to because the food is there. And, and I actually found, um, an interview with you, Brad, where you said that originally, like making food was an afterthought for you guys. At what point did you realize, hey, we actually make some pretty darn good food and people will come out like this is a restaurant and, you know, maybe they'll have a beer, but they're here because our food is pretty damn good. Right. And we just thought, you know, at the very least, food puts butts in the seats. You know, um, we, you know, we kind of, just thought that, uh, you know, if there's food there, there's going to be more people there regardless. Yeah, you have your beer drinkers, but 
part of the thing is as well, you get people there who are your typical domestic beer drinkers and stuff, but it's nice to try to change their minds a little bit and get them more into the craft beer scene. And I feel like we've done a pretty decent job with that. So, And Kyle, you just mentioned you like to throw ideas, you know, from the brewery side into the kitchen. What is your relationship like with Jake as you guys try and come up with new menu items, especially ones that are incorporating, you know, the, the new beers that you're working with? Uh, so uh, people probably don't really know a lot unless they work in the beer, the brewing industry, but there's a lot of loss uh, as far as beer goes and it goes down the drain most for the most part. What I try to do is retain that. Uh, and so I'll literally run into the kitchen and be like, well, I've got two gallons of this beer that would otherwise get poured out. I can't sit and drink some of this beer all day long. You know? <laughs> uh, so it either goes out, goes down the drain or I run to the kitchen and grab a Cambro and I'm like, Hey, make simple syrup out of this or, can you incorporate this into a marinade or something like that? And uh, a lot of times they can use it, you know, if they have time and space for it. So um, I guess the main utilization would be like our Elkhorn oil uh, stout. It makes simple syrup with it, which they then utilize in our house old-fashioned. So that's that sets our old-fashioned apart because uh, the kitchen turns it into simple syrup, whereas, um, I mean, other people probably use another company's simple syrup. We have our own unique um, and we have that a lot in our facility. So, And Jake, what about the food? Because I know being able to incorporate beer into food, it's something that I think a lot of bars and breweries try to do and don't do successfully. Right. <laughs> what, what's the key to being able to take the notes, the specific notes that you have in certain beers and say, hey, this would go great in a beer cheese or a barbecue sauce or, or anything like that? Um, I mean... Kyle and I kind of talk about it. Well, I'll I'll sit here and figure out what I'm cooking, um, and we'll talk about what beer is going to be best paired with it. Um, I mean, usually in any meats, I like to go choose a lighter beer, you know, something with a little citrus in it or something, you know. Um, you know, you just get to get to mess around with it every day. Yep, the barbecue every sauce day. goes well with like our our IPA, so um, it's citrusy, which I think a lot of barbecue sauce it's already tangy um and ipa goes well with that so um other than that i mean merlin's cream ale a uh, nice easy drinking light beer um that's what is um put into our beer cheese soup i believe that's what you've been yeah doing. yeah yep we've rotated it a little bit but mostly always merlin's cream ale which is one of our mainstay beers it's on year round yep i will say like we have a lot of items in the kitchen that are they're there on the menu every single day but like kyle said when you have runoff that you're just going to waste that's when we incorporate into new beers, new specials, whatever. So, And I imagine that helps with just, I don't know, I don't want to say the drudgery, but like if you're just making the same menu items day after day, that, that can get a little bit old after a while. But when you got your brother running and saying, hey, I've got you know some runoff of this, we need to use it, that allows that creativity to kind of just stay alive, right? Right, yep. Yeah, we get we get to get real creative with it. So, uh, yeah, and we do... I try to do a new special like once every week, once every two weeks or so. So, I mean, anything like this last week, we just had a smoked turkey cranberry sandwich. Um, it was, it sold, oh my God, I sold so many of those. It was crazy. I mean, Where was the beer in that? Um, it was in the, the cranberry smoked, sauce? no, it was the in chips. The, the smoked chips that we used. Yeah, we used some, some wine barrel chips with, uh, Midwest that Barrel were, that company. were soaked yeah. soaked in our beer. Shout out to Midwest Barrel Company for yeah. the 
for the chips. Basically, what they did was they used old barrels that, and we use their barrels to age our beer in. Um, when the barrels dry out, they they run them through a wood chipper, and so we got those, soaked them in our beer, and then put them in the smoker, and that's what this. That's the beer aspect of the smoked turkey. And the beer we chose to use with those was our, it's called High Hopes. It is our apple pie beer. So Apple pie beer? Yeah. Yeah. Dang, that sounds delicious. Tastes like an apple turnover, kind of. I don't know. All right. (laughs) So when you guys were originally coming up with Jukes and working with your parents who who are um, involved with the brewery as well, was the original plan to offer food? And how has the, like, the idea behind Juke's menu kind of evolved since you opened? Uh, well, as I said, not, it's definitely a forethought or afterthought on that one. It was, uh, it was mainly our parents' idea. They said, you know, I mean, given any day of the week, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, you know, we plan on to be open five, maybe six days a week at that point. And it's like, how do you get people there on our Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday night outside of doing bingo or trivia or something like that? So, you know, if that food was the answer for that, at least. So Yeah, and based on the location, there's a lot of um, sports fields close by, so you got families going down for practice or a game or whatever. You know, there's football, baseball, soccer fields all over, so I think their thought was, well, let's get moms and dads in who want to have a beer after a game, but they also have food for the kids, so that was another reason, I suppose. Okay, well, we can't talk about the food without talking about, and I think you guys know what's coming, the salted caramel wings. That That is the thing that I think you guys are best known for. Um, I've heard people tell me that these are their favorite wings in Omaha. They're quite good. I'll agree with that. They are definitely the most unique, I would say, for sure. But my understanding in doing some research is that these wings were kind of a happy mistake. They were not planned. Can you kind of give me the origin story behind the salted caramel wings? So we had, uh, originally we had been making these, uh, this bread, bread pudding, like fried bread pudding. And, uh, we had, we had this caramel sauce, bourbon caramel that we were making for it. And, uh, we had a bunch of leftovers. And so one day one of our cooks decided that he wanted to try out some salted caramel wings and he threw them together. And next week we, we put them on the menu and they started selling like crazy. I mean, everybody has been eating them. It's, I sell probably... I got maybe eighty a day on a wow. on the weekend. It's it's stupid. I think it was meant they were meant to be run as like a a weekend special, and people just lost it. And yeah. we were like, ah, let's just keep them on the menu. On yeah. What is it about that balance? Like, it, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, we you know we had some we had some bread pudding and we you know threw threw it on some wings and just tried it, but you do have that balance. There's that bourbon in there. I think that adds a little smokiness. There's the salt. How, once you had the idea that, Hey, let's try and put salted caramel wings on the menu. How did you come to that final product? Gosh, I don't know. I think, I think people often just assume that because something is made to be savory, that it's going to be weird to have like caramel on it. And it, for whatever reason, it just works. So you have, you know, our savory, super crispy wings, and then you get the sweetness from the caramel sauce and, and the bourbon, and then you dust it with a little bit of sea salt, and it just comes together. Mm-hmm. And as you said, with the bourbon in it, it cuts, cuts through the sweetness a little bit too. So I always yep. tell people, think like chicken and waffles. You know? There you go. You got savory and sweet there. It exactly. works. Yep, exactly. That's a good, that's a good combination. 
I mean, and I mean, there, there are like other versions of this. Like you see all kinds of, you know, teriyaki wings or like sweet Asian wings or stuff like that. So sweetness and wings is not something that's foreign. I think it's just like the idea in your brain of salted caramel. Like the first time you have it, it's, it's just kind of wild, but it does work. And I want to be clear, like, yeah, the salted caramel wings, that's kind of the headliner, but all you guys' sauces that I've tried are very, very good especially the the roasted garlic parmesan that that would probably be my favorite what is the strategy behind frying your wings naked rather than using a breading come out really crispy they come out yeah they come out way more crispy for sure yeah that's what people love about them i know even stacy winters shout out to stacy omaha food lovers uh during covid when we were doing curbside only yeah i know he touted us as like the crispiest wings to go so Dress them naked and, lot, and so. give, yeah, give sauce to, you know, the guest and they can sauce them when they get home or whatever. It just allows for them to remain that much crispier on mm-hmm. the go. Yep, and, and same with in-house. I mean, we sauce them right there to order and um, they get to the table hot and it's still crispy. So, yep. I'm not a fan of like oversaturated wings. Um, I like them to be crispy, so. You allow that chicken skin to shine. Like, yep. that is such a beautiful oh, yeah. product. It's something that, you know, a lot of restaurants will add to a dish to add crunch or whatever, and you're just incorporating the natural chicken skin that's already there. It's just a great idea. Yeah. Uh, other menu item I got to ask you about is the Nashville hot chicken sandwich. So, I've been on a bit of a crusade over these past couple weeks. I've been trying Nashville hots all over Omaha, and I found a lot of good versions. None are as hot as you guys. You guys is like half an hour after eating that thing. And I love spicy food. So it didn't like, it wasn't unpleasant, but like half an hour after eating it, I was driving around and I was like, man, I still like have that tingle on the inside of my mouth. How how did, first of all, how did you decide to put a Nashville hot chicken sandwich on the menu? Um, so I, uh, we had, we had a head chef actually before me, his name was Dan and he wanted to add the Nashville on originally. Um, You've met him, Dan Harrington, Dan Harrington, worked at Dante. Okay, yeah, yep. yeah. great guy. Yep. yep, now GM at Main Street Cellars in Elkhorn there, the yeah. wine bar. So he's the one who wanted to put that on originally. He came up with his own sauce recipe and everything. It and, was my uh, idea. <laughs> I, have, I asked I have, him. I have since. since I've got he, like three people in the room right now claiming. That this, excuse that me. Okay. Idea. Correction. <laughs> correction. Uh, if, if I'm being quite honest, it was my wife's idea. Um, and I believe it was after a trip to Nashville is kind of what brought it up. Fair. So we asked it to be made and he made it. And yep. it was delicious and it stuck. So I, I have then since made a few changes to the recipe. I've added a, some Carolina Reaper honey rather than regular honey honey to give it a little more spice uh, another local shout out thanks to, thanks <laughs> to head honey farms yeah. use their carolina reaper honey yep man well, keeping it local right? we keep a lot of, <laughs> we do a lot of local stuff try yeah. to our burgers and everything yep i mean i i just i have to ask you more about the heat in this sandwich because like i've said like a lot of omaha places they have sandwiches that have good flavor but they they're missing that heat they're missing that punch and i i keep eating these and i'm like man i like this but i want somebody to just kick me in the tongue and i feel like you guys sandwich comes the closest to that what about your sandwich other than the honey gives it just that kick that some of the others are missing ah, gosh i mean I, we put put pretty decent amount of cayenne in there and it's and i have put two full 
cups of that Carolina, or no, sorry, one full cup of that Carolina Reaper honey in there. So it's, I mean, with even with the the brown sugar and the you know, it's that kick is just going to come through. It that's the Reaper honey is just going to pull through big time in that. So yeah. It's got a a lot of flavor, but the the kick after for sure gets you. And Brad and I are like hotheads, almost irresponsibly so. So like we heard you are too. Yeah. Yes. I'm very irresponsible. So when we went to like throw this on the menu, I was like, make it hot. Like I make it actually hot because I'm same with you. I try Nashville hot anywhere I see it, and I've I've never had anyone specifically hit that mark. And so when we were like. When I was having them or asking them to develop a recipe, I was like, make it hurt, man. Like, actually hurt. So, does, does it hurt? No, I can, I, I can, I can go, <laughs> you can pop I can it up go more. way higher, man. <laughs> but I get it. Like, the general public, you don't want to burn them out right. every time. You want them to like be like, oh, it's hot, but keep coming back for it. So, so I know you've had bar shins, right? Mm-hmm. So, did you go with the hottest one while you were there? Yes. I think they call it the Ghost Rider. I think that's or right. Or hot yeah. as hell. The, something along those lines. It's got good spice, good flavor, but like, I mean, with a name like that, like I was expecting to just really get punched in the face and didn't quite get there. Delicious sandwich. I would encourage anyone to go order it, but you guys, you had something that I was like, okay, I see it here. And I remember the first time that I went to Jukes, one of my dining companions got the Nashville hot chicken sandwich. I didn't get it that time, but about halfway through, He's got this sweat that starts like forming like between his eyes and his nose. And he's just like, okay, okay. I see yep. you jukes. I'm feeling this. Yep. I used to watch people out the window. Everyone thought <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd look out the window and people are just sitting there sweating. Some people tears in their eyes. It's My great. favorite story with that was there was a couple sitting up on the rooftop patio this last summer and the guy ordered the Nashville hot and he is tearing up and starting to hiccup and everything. And the wife said, I got to take away his man card now. So he claimed he could do it no problem. Yes. I was going to say, is there like a pride? Some I don't know if pride is the right word, but like I imagine there's some people, particularly guys, come in and they're like, you know, manly men. I can handle any, any kind of heat. And they're like, give me the Nashville hot. And then when you get it and like you got those guys crying for mercy, there's got to be like a little bit of a. Oh, yeah, oh, it, we got them there. Gets me a big old smile. I, I, <laughs> I grin so much when that happens. Yeah. I love we, I, I, I don't necessarily want to see people hurting, but, you know, they did it to themselves by ordering the sandwich. So. There is a warning on the menu. It <laughs> yep. says, caution, it's spicy. So yeah. people know coming yeah. in. And we did the same uh, with beer a while back. Um, we're like Mortal Kombat nerds. So when the Mortal Kombat movie came out, like, what, a year and a half ago? I don't know. Um we did a beer. We did two different beers with scorpion peppers. Oh, because scorpion, right? right. And uh, one of them was like five scorpion peppers to a single keg, and the other one was ten. And same thing. I sat at the bar and kind of watched people order super small batches. Watch people order it, and I would just watch that beer go to the table and watching people take a drink, or the one guy who chugged a whole pint of it, and he, he immediately <laughs> he immediately got up and went to the restroom and had to, like, take care of business. Um, and, I mean, he was puking. Uh, but, yeah, not pride's probably not the right word, but, like, yeah. watching people kind of get in you turmoil slightly. down a peg <laughs> yeah, or two, yeah. yeah. Like, All right, tough guy. So we bought a, <laughs> that was about a couple bags of, a couple gallon-sized bags from Volcanic Peppers. That's where we got the scorpion yep. peppers from. yep. Um, and then that, f- the five pepper keg, we ended up calling that beer. What? That was 
Fatality. Uh, brutality. Yeah, and then the other one was finish him. Finish him along the Mortal Kombat lines. Yeah, you know, yeah. To, wasn't fatality? Didn't that. I do wings that were called? Fatality? Yeah, we did a fatality yes. wing sauce that time with those scorpion peppers. And the brutality was the five pepper beer. Yep. Finish him was the ten, ten pepper beer. Yeah. So yeah, watching people kind of struggle a little bit. It's not like we have a sick pleasure in it, but, <laughs> but watching people struggle sometimes, it's like all right, like. You're having trouble eating or drinking. That's kind of funny. I don't know. Because we challenge, our, like Brad and I especially, we challenge ourselves and eat just wildly spicy and hot things. And we've we've been that person before, I promise you. I'm starting to get to that, but not nearly as much as you guys, for sure. Have any of you guys been stupid enough to do the new Pocky one-chip challenge? I have, two, one? I have two of them sitting on my kitchen counter at home, and I have every intention of eating it with Brad at some point. We just have to find a day where we can maybe crawl into a corner for a little bit if it's as bad as I think it's going to be. Yeah, don't plan on doing anything in the hours following. No, Brad probably shouldn't like run service shift at, right after he <laughs> no. eats it. Because I did that with that finish him beer, the 10 pepper scorpion one, and that so I chugged a 16-ounce one oh boy. in the middle of a shift just because I was dared to. And yeah, I had to go hug a keg in the cooler for about five minutes there. <laughs> did not feel well. All right. So this is, this is a good segue, I think, into the beer portion of the menu. You guys have uh, seven core beers that remain on the menu year-round, but you also have 12 other taps that feature seasonal and specialty beers. I know that... Brewing it has become a very important part of your family. It's something that keeps you guys together. How did the family get into brewing originally? Um, I I think I've told the story a million different times, a million different ways. But basically, uh, my mom bought my dad a Mister Beer kit, which is literally like, I guess I could compare it to like making macaroni. You're pouring ingredients into a pot, boiling it for an hour, and then you add the dry yeast and ferment it. <clears throat> So I did that. Uh, beer turned out. I don't even remember. It was probably I was just like, whatever. This is fine. I'll drink it. Uh, and then after that, I kind of I went to a couple homebrewing um, what get-togethers. I would say uh, a couple or a handful of local homebrewers learned a lot, and then just got a lot more enthusiastic about it. Picked it up. Um, started brewing all grain beer, which is you know from scratch with grain. Um, and hops and that, and started making some actually good beer, started taking it to festivals, and <clears throat> start, people started realizing that it was actually good beer and told us we should open a brewery. At that point, I was like, that's a wild idea. This will never happen. And 10 years later, here we are, um, been open for three. So I believe we created the LLC for the business, and I think Dad's a 2011, December of 2011, kind of as a joke. You know, yeah. We, Total joke. Had no serious intentions of opening anything at that point in time. But then, uh, what was it, December of 15 is when we got the building. We were actually at the German-American Society for a homebrewers festival, and we had put a bid on on the property downtown and got the call and said, hey, you got the building. So things became very real, very quick, and and uh, we celebrated pretty hard that day at the festival. <laughs> as one so, does. Absolutely. So you say you got the LLC almost as a joke. Yep. But then four years later, you're all of a sudden you have a building. Yep. At what point did it morph from joke into, hey, like this is this is real. We could actually do this if we want to. Um, I mean, I had I had a previous uh, job at Upstream Brewing, so I had already had prior experience brewing, uh, you know, professionally. Um, and then once we got the building, we realized we wanted to open a brewery. 
um, I, I guess I, it was more like a, oh, I have to take this seriously. I better go get more experience. So um, I just kept brewing and brewing and brewing in the garage, developing recipes, um, coming up with things that I thought might work as core beers. Um, Ninja Juice was born out of just my my young or my oldest son um, happened to be like fake brewing on his little toy kitchen one day. And um, I don't even think he was two yet. And he basically was like, oh, I've made a beer, Dad, and in his little squeaky voice. And I was like, what's it called? Ninja Juice. And I was like, light bulb. So I developed a recipe based around just those two words, and that's kind of the beer that built the place. And um, I ended up getting another job at Infusion Brewing Company for a, about a year and a half, um, kind of honed my skills on the commercial side of things. And by the time I was done there, we had completely built out Juke Sale Works. So it was a smooth transition from you know, brewing for them to brewing at our own spot. So you can tell that someone is serious about beer when they're two year old, instead of having like one of those Fisher price, like kitchenette sets <laughs> has a brewing set instead. And it's no, it, with- no, it literally, I think it was a Fisher price, like kitchen set. Oh, but, okay. but since he'd always watch, you know, Brad and I and, and, and whoever else would be there involved in the garage, he'd watch us brew. And I think that was kind of where that idea was derived from. So, yeah, I doubt there's many kids out there like fake brewing beer on their kitchen set. <laughs> Mine was for sure one of them. <laughs> so what was that feeling like when you when you secure the building and it's just like, well, shoot, this is real. Like, we got to do this now. Um, it, I, Like Brad said, that day when we, when we found out we got the building, um, it was kind of this huge, like, celebration celebratory moment um and then we were like oh god we got to put a lot of work into this um so i'm sure there's a lot of people who know we tried to fix the building up that we did buy um and it was just it i hate to say but it was it was slightly dilapidated and our architect kind of told us that if we you know started from scratch we could build something more feasible to our needs and that's um how we did that so there was probably what two and a half years of work that went into actually getting our brick-and-mortar facility um, established and opened. You um, know, and the Elkhorn Historical Society, you know, they obviously they hate when the old, those old buildings get torn down. It was built in 1939. It was Merlin's small engine repair shop, and we had, we paid homage to them with a beer. We've got our Merlin's cream ale, which is a very hot seller there as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, we probably spent about a year trying to salvage that building, and, and uh some, a lot of time and money went into that and then said, no, eventually we're like, yeah, we got to tear it down. There's the walls were all deteriorating. It was pretty bad. So a lot so, of cool character though, that came from that building. We tried to put some of that stuff back into the, in the building now. So like what old wood. Yep. Reclaimed wood. If you go upstairs to our bar back behind our taps there, the whole wall is reclaimed wood there. They cleaned it up and made it look really nice. So, um, there's railroad spikes. Yeah, there was all sorts handles. of tools and just just various items that we kept, you know, as keep our own personal keepsakes. But we've kind of strewn them about the tap room. I mean, if you look around and you might find something here, they're hanging on a wall or whatever. Hey there, listeners. So Christmas is right around the corner. You got to be thinking about gifts, and I don't know about you, but I can't really think of anything better to get as a present than just delicious, amazing meat, whether that's to be grilled, whether it's to be cooked, whatever it is. And Certified Piedmontese is the place to get it from. When you shop from Certified Piedmontese, you know you are getting quality products that are locally sourced. Uh, The selection is incredible. You can get all kinds of different meats. This is something where 
you don't know what to get your dad. You don't know what to get family members. You don't know what to get friends. Get them a gift card to certified Piedmontese. Or if you're having family over, feed them an amazing meal with certified Piedmontese products. And best yet, you get 25% off your online order when you use my promo code HOPPEN. That's my last name, H-O-P-P-E-N, at checkout. So make the holidays truly special this year with certified Piedmontese. And now, back to my guest. We've already made uh, mention of Merlin's cream ale earlier, but I want to bring it back up because you guys mentioned, you know, paying homage to him through this beer. And I think that this is a really cool beer to highlight because, you know, you mentioned it's in the food. It's a it's a corn forward beer, which obviously speaks to Nebraska and Nebraska culture. It's also a beer that you guys have done like a lot of variations of. Like I found um, different versions. You've done horchata with it. You've done banana cream pie, cookies and cream, peanut butter and jelly. Like you can get wild with this thing. Uh, what's the origin story of this beer? Um, so uh, my whole thought was I wanted to obviously. Um, as Brad said, you know, pay homage to Merlin himself. And like you stated, it's a cream ale brewed with a heavy bill of corn in the mash. Um, And that's just a nod to Nebraska and, you know, Merlin's tenure as a a small engine repair shop here. Um, But I guess, I don't know, I just wanted some easy drinking that was inviting to just your everyday drinker. So this is a beer that helped a lot of our parents' friends kind of transition from only drinking, say, Bush Light or Bud Light or whatever, because it is such an approachable beer. Um, it's and a gateway beer. Absolutely. And 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 I think that's kind of why we, we made it the way we did. Um, and, and I think we really enjoyed a beer from uh, Castle Danger Brewing. Uh, we go up to Minnesota a lot to our grandma's cabin, and they have a cream ale that we drink a ton of when we go up there. And I was like, I want something like that to, to, I guess, um, be a mainstay beer for us and, and to represent Merlin. So, and because it is such a, just a easy drinking, light approachable beer, I think it just takes ingredients, um, that anything we throw at it, it, it just, it turns it into something else. So like our peanut butter and jelly Merlin's cream ale, which we will be brewing soon. Um, it, it it straight up tastes like an Uncrustable. How did, like, who suggested that? Like, who, who comes up with that? Let's make a peanut butter and jelly beer. I, I have a wacky brain, man. <laughs> like, I, I just, I think, I think something up, and I'm like, how can I execute this? Um, and anytime you taste a beer like that, like, that's real Concord grape. That's real dry. It's PB powder. Uh, but I reconstitute, reconstitute it and make it into peanut butter, essentially. And that is that all goes into that beer. So what you're tasting is actual, like, the ingredients of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's not extracts. It's nothing fake or, or you know, I, I guess it's just, it's real flavor, real aroma. So that's what makes it taste like a, an actual peanut butter and jelly. Um, real roasted bananas in, like, the banana cream pie. I mean, everything is time-consuming, and um, it's a I little bit more expensive and a little bit more time-consuming, but it shows. Yeah. You drink it. Yeah. It's so oh. good. Getting into the more of those seasonal and, and specialty beers, where does the inspiration come from when you're coming up with these? Probably uh, messing around in the brewery, drinking a couple beers together, and just BSing a little bit. I don't know. Can we There's... execute this? I don't know. We'll give it a shot. <laughs> that's That's majority of it, honestly. I mean... I don't, 
I don't want to sit here and say we're like, oh, it's Christmas season. Let's make something taste like Christmas. But there is a lot of that. Um, but we don't try to do like a gingerbread beer every year. Or we don't try to do this or that every year. It's like, what can we, what flavors can we put into this beer to make it, um, I guess, reminiscent of what you would think is like, I mean, we did a, we did our chicken sweaters beer to guard with, um, what did we use? Rosemary, or no, sage, sage. and cranberry. And that beer straight up tasted like Thanksgiving dinner in a beer. Uh, but I don't know. I just try to invoke a little uh, creativity in people's minds and, and like, here's a beer that tastes like this. I hope you enjoy it. Um, and I think we execute it pretty well for the most part. Yeah, right now we've got uh, well, Ninja Juice being our number one selling beer that we've got. We are doing a milkshake IPA right now. Um, it's Mango Lassi, you know, and that kind of came from just – Going to Kanara, talking with Ashish all the time and everything. It's like, let's do an Indian-inspired beer. So I think, so yeah, that'll be coming out here. Yeah, it's ninja juice with mangoes, uh, vanilla beans for like the kind of the creamy aspect of it. A little bit bit of lactose milk sugar uh, for the creaminess. And then I actually hit it with um, cardamom and cinnamon um, just to try to actually make it taste like a mango lassi. It's, It's a wild tasting beer, man. Like... I think I need to try this. Yeah, I think it'll go over well. So you guys have a partnership with Kanara now, right? They just opened their new location. You guys are working with them. Yep, it's just us and Nebraska Brewing Company, the only breweries that they're putting on tap right now. So love that. So okay, so take me into the R and D process. Like you guys are sitting around the table, you're having beers. Somebody lobs out an idea, whatever it might be. Christmas beer, let's make a beer that tastes like Thanksgiving, let's make a mango lassi, whatever it is. When you decide, hey, yeah, well, I'm going to try this, what happens between getting that idea and putting it on the menu for customers to be able to purchase it? <laughs> Honestly, it depends on how stubborn Kyle wants to be. Though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, most of the time, very stubborn. Um, no, honestly, a lot of our, our recipes and our one-off stuff is um, – it doesn't even necessarily come up with like, a, hey, make a beer taste like that. It's like someone will say some dumb thing, and I'm like, I'm naming a beer that. Okay, now what's the beer going to be that's called start that? Start with the name, okay. Yeah, I start with the name a lot. Like, and a lot of it's uh, pop culture derived. And I don't want to say like I sit and watch TV, and I'm like, oh, it's light bulb or whatever. But, you know, music, television, movie quotes, there's a lot of that worked in and a lot of subliminal messaging i guess through a lot of our beer names so a lot of times i actually model our beer after some thought that i have or brad will st- say something and i'm like i'm naming a beer that um but as far as like uh creating a recipe based on flavors it's like you know i i like to try to put as much culinary know-how as i can into creating a beer um so it actually tastes what i'm going for um and a lot of times it's like a I'll ping ideas off my wife and she's like, no, 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 do add this to it to do, you know, to make it taste like that. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess I'd try to, I will literally hop on the internet and look up a recipe for like a baked good and be like, what does this have in it? And I'll try to piece all those components together, put it in a beer form. Really? Yeah. It's nerdy as heck, and, man. But it's not <laughs> just like, like with the peanut butter and jelly beer. You know, you don't you don't just throw, you know, great uh, Concord grape concentrate and PB2 powder into it. He also adds like, I mean, you put a lot of stuff. You'll add like vanilla beans or yep. something up just to round those beers out just a little bit more. 
just a couple little ingredients that people don't think to just to make it a little more nuanced. Yeah, a lot of like a lot of things. We have a, a I, what would you call it? A devil's food cake inspired beer yep. uh, sitting in a tank right now. And there's a lot of ingredients in it, but you're not going to necessarily taste all of them at the forefront. It's just there's a lot of coconut, but there's a little bit of coffee because devil's food cake has coffee in it. I think for the most part, I would imagine I looked it up <laughs> anyway, but there's like a touch of cinnamon there. There's coffee, there's cacao nibs, but stuff like that. It, it's just kind of putting little bit of these ingredients in to round out the whole affair and make it taste like it should. I imagine this varies greatly from beer to beer, but just on average, what is like the typical R and D time, I guess, from when you start experimenting to reaching the final product. Oh God, we've got, I've got recipes and beer names and, and concepts written down from a decade ago. So some, I've, some of this stuff will just never come to fruition just because I don't know that it's a good idea or we don't have tank space for it or it gets forgotten. But, um, I mean, for the most part, if we think we can come up with something, um, I can usually get something brewed and then moved into what we call secondary aging on the, the raw ingredients, you know, your cinnamon, your vanilla in two months time. So like we're brewing a fresh batch of Merlin's cream ale, uh, soon. Um, once that's brewed from the day it's brewed, which I'm should be brewing on Friday. Um, well, five, four days from now. Um, once it's brewed from that day on to peanut butter and jelly cream, Merlin's cream ale, six to eight weeks. So, like I said, about the two-month mark. Mm-hmm. I like to, anytime I'm using expensive ingredients, especially like vanilla beans, not cheap. It's the second most expensive spice in the world. Um, I like to give beers at least, at minimum, three weeks' time on ingredients like that. So I'm getting the full flavor, the full extraction. So, Well, this is a question I'd like an answer from all you guys. What is, like, your favorite specialty beer that you guys have come up with? And this doesn't necessarily, this could be your favorite tasting it could be this is the weirdest beer we came up with that actually worked or this is a beer that we worked on a really long time and when it finally came out we were super proud of just when you think of like this is my definition of a juke specialty beer what pops to the front of your mind i could see this answer being very different very uh, different oh you know brad within, brad you start yeah. well within the brewing industry you know a lot of brewers and people involved Drink a lot of light lagers, just easy drinking beers. You can smash a few of them, not feel the effects really. And, you know, all the, I'll let Kyle touch on that more with all We're the talking specialty beer here, Brad, though. Not not a one grain, right. one hop, one yeast lager. Which, because if, if I'm not going total specialty, something a little lighter, easier drinking, our Wakazashi right now is our Japanese rice lager, and it's fantastic. I love that beer. Um, we are down to the last keg of it right now, so... That's disappointing. That is more of a specialty beer, though. Forty percent of the ferment, the 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 grain is um, jasmine, jasmine rice. So, oh shoot! I mean, when I describe that beer to people, and I get nerdy with this type of stuff, I tell them it's like floral popcorn. I, is the best <laughs> way I can describe it. But like in a little five percent, like golden hued beer, um, it's very nuanced. So. Yeah, you could call that one a specialty beer. It's specialty, but it's not, you know, not something we're throwing vanilla or whatever fruit or whatever into. I don't get into those beers too much. I'm trying to think if there's one that would really stand out, though, if I did. I mean, the PB&J beer is, it's it, good for It's what an it uncrustable is. in a glass. 
Like yeah. it's why it's wild how much it tastes like a peanut butter. It's just butter not jelly. something I'm personally going to drink a lot of. Yeah. I mean, we we do make a lot of these beers um, because that's what the public wants. Um, but we, you know, and I try to make stuff that everyone's going to drink, whether it tastes like a dessert or it's like like a, our rice lager. Um, we try to make like the full spectrum of things. I can probably guess what Jake's favorite specialty beer is. It was bad seeds. Yeah, which is <laughs> one of one of two. I would say. Yeah. Okay. What's the other one? Bad seeds was one of them. Uh, well, okay, is, is bathtub considered a special? N- uh, no, bath- bathtub. Bathtub spaghetti. <laughs> spaghetti. Bath- okay, no, 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 no. Beer Tell me about that. bathtub spaghetti. Uh, my wife's sitting right behind me. She loves this story so much. <laughs> so when my wife was pregnant with our uh, now three-year-old daughter, uh, for whatever reason, there was multiple occasions where she got in the bathtub and ate spaghetti. Pregnancy cravings, they're real. I, yeah, yeah, and I jokingly told her at the time, I was like, I'm totally naming a beer Bathtub Spaghetti, not thinking it would ever happen. This is one of those things, right, where I, like, come up with a name, and there's a story behind it, and years down the road, I actually, like, enact the beer and, like, it, create it. So Bathtub Spaghetti is an Italian-style Pilsner, uh, which sets its side of, itself apart from other Pilsners because it's dry-hopped. Um, meaning there's hops added in the cold secondary stages of fermentation. Um, and it's just a citrusy, grainy, delicious beer. And Summer crusher, too. Yeah, yeah. And if it, I'm sure anyone who's listening who's seen the, the label for the beer, it's, it's ridiculous. It's me in a bathtub full of spaghetti. So, <laughs> part of me wants to try and Google that, and part of me is terrified to do yeah, so. Yeah, so I might just have to wait uh, till it comes out just, again. <laughs> it's it's caricature Kyle looking like an idiot in a clawfoot tub with spaghetti. Yeah. So. Okay, so I need to get your favorite now, Kyle. <sighs> we want to go like hyper specialty. I love big, giant, malty beers that have stayed a long time in uh, what in barrels that previously held whiskey. Um, so one of my proudest creations, um, which is gone, long gone now, uh, is Double Barrel Abyssal Mouth. And it's an English-style barley wine that aged in a maple syrup bourbon barrel for 11 months. So a barrel that held bourbon and then held Michigan maple syrup. And then we got it and aged the beer in that barrel for 11 months. And then we moved out of that barrel into a Woodford Reserve um, bourbon barrel for 17 months. So that beer from the day I brewed it to the day it was bottled was almost three years in the making. Damn. Yeah. So you want to talk specialty, like stuff like that is what gets me going. I think that (laughs) that's like the level of craft that I think a lot of people don't understand. And even most home brewers probably don't understand like, you know, you're, Three years. Yeah. Yep. For for one beer. It's We've got another beer similar. Um, for anyone who missed out on that coming out here soon, once I get the label art uh printed for it. Um, and that beer was God, how long was that in the barrel? Would you say it was like a little over a year in the Jim Beam Legion ex Pedro Jimenez Sherry barrel. Yeah, like and thirteen then, months. And then maybe another another ten, 10 months. I think. So another beer that's you know, over two years in the making. And then basically. another 10 months in an Eagle Rare store pick barrel that we got our hands mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Sheesh. So, yeah. You want to talk specialty beer? That's the type of specialty beer I, I really, really enjoy. And I do have to change my answer. Double barrel Bissell Mouth would absolutely be my favorite. <laughs> I wasn't thinking along lines of barrel age stuff, but 
he does a fantastic job with the barrel age. Yeah, so. and beers like that, like double barrel Abyssal Mouth, fourteen percent alcohol. The one coming up is called Down with the Ship, double barrel Down with the Ship. That's fifteen percent alcohol. So you're, you know, barley wine. You're talking wine strength beers. Mm-hmm. So yeah. You guys are not brewers. You're scientists. <laughs> like, there's a there's a lot that goes into this. That I Kyle's would... looking at me, trying to tell me not to tell the story, and I won't no, tell no, the no. story. But there's a joke. There's a joke that we won't get into. But we we don't believe in science. <laughs> that was what was claimed one day. Yeah. In fact, we use it every day. And I use science literally every day in the brewery. Like a lot of it, actually. Okay. Well, I. If you guys really don't want to tell it, I won't make you tell it. But if you come on a podcast and say we have a great story that we don't want to tell, it's my no. obligation as a host to ask more story. about it. Nope. Not doing it. We try to stay very apolitical and not get into the okay. everything. So we'll just leave it at that. Someone made a false claim and we laughed. That was it. Yeah. And it's been an ongoing joke since. And she called us the pukes instead of the jukes. And now we kind of joked about uh, making a little brewery branded T-shirt that says the Pukes. Make it look like a cons- or like a band T-shirt that says the Pukes. Oh, there you go. It'll yeah. be kind of fun. Yeah. Sounds like a garage ska band or something, right? Yeah. So I guess, listeners, if you want the full story, you got to come in, get these guys a couple barrel-aged, uh, there you go. barrel-aged yeah. beers, have yeah. a good time with them, and then maybe you'll get the, the full story. There you go. Uh, speaking of the story, I want to go back to kind of the origin story of Jukes and where we left off last. You guys had bought the building. You really like the location. You love, you know, the, the the classic nature of the building, but it just wasn't able to suit your needs. You had to tear it down. So as you're rebuilding again, where do you even start? Like, how do you determine this is, you know, I, I guess I'll just leave it at that. Where do you start when you're building a brewery from the ground up? Oh, uh, boy. Lots of meetings with an architect. Oh, man. That was so uh, many of them. We were currently working at REI, which is our other family business at the time, and we kept getting pulled aside to, you know, jump into meetings. And, yeah, they were, I don't know, that went on for, what, months? Yeah, we... months and months. And finally, like, started seeing renderings and then you know in a couple of meetings it was like do we do a second story do we do a rooftop um and i know how people geek out on like rooftop patios so that was kind of an obvious and easy like if we can make it happen let's make it happen type thing so um yeah just looking over dozens of different renderings of the building and it it took a while and there's so many things we'd change now if we could go back. Just <laughs> oh, God, oh yeah. man, just two stories alone is is a lot. You know, it's you, a lot. It's a logistical, what I often call logistical nightmare, because you have people on certain days they want to come into this place and be like, "Oh, can we sit on the rooftop patio?" And it's like, "Well, there's rain supposed to hit at three o'clock, so sorry, we didn't open up there. We opened down here." So there's a lot of that, and um, it's stuff that it's it's things like that that we want people to understand about our space is that like. It's a lot to manage, man. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a lot. We've got about double the seating on our rooftop patio as we do in our upstairs area. So, I mean, you can't just move people from outside to inside upstairs. We've had to. So. We've had to. Rain has hit okay. out of nowhere, and there's we've got almost a full upstairs patio, and people just sprint inside, and now you're in this tiny little space, people standing everywhere. So, yeah. it's it's. It's a lot to manage, man. And we have shifted floors from the upstairs to the downstairs in, right in the middle of a shift, and it's not easy to do, especially, you know, tracking where your table's going, all that. It, it is a logistical nightmare when that type of stuff happens. So Yeah, I've, I've joked about, like, I want to sit down with, like, 
pitch and I, who else has like rooftop pad? I want to sit down with these people and be like, hey, do you guys have the same problems we have? <laughs> it's like, do we open upstairs today or do we not? You know, it's it's just stuff like that. And your staffing like, changes. You know, yeah, You don't totally. like to make cuts, but you have to at times like, oh, we're not going to be upstairs tonight. The weather isn't what we expected it to be. But, you know, that's just one thing we got to deal with. And Yep. But, yeah, the build out of this the facility, it took a long time. I mean, yeah. just planning it and. Kitchen was built way too small. Brewery way too small. They both need a lot more space. <laughs> Please bear with us, everyone. We're yeah. we're doing everything we can to get your food and beer to you as quickly as we can. I think we this promise. Last summer, we tried opening both the upstairs and downstairs for service, and our capacity is what two. I don't remember what it is. Two twenty two thirty sixteen. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever it is, that kitchen is not built for serving <laughs> that many people at one time. So we were running. On a Friday night, we were running like hour and 15, hour and a half ticket times. And people were obviously not happy with that. So, And that's yeah. with the kitchen staff, like cruising through, through things oh, as we were, fast yeah, as they we were, can. We were busting it. Yep. So we made the decision the following weekend to use the downstairs as more of a waiting area. People can sit and have drinks and everything while they wait for uh, their spot on the rooftop. And that's what everyone wants during that time of year when it's nice out anyway. They want to be on the rooftop, so... Yeah, well, we've talked about the logistical challenges of the of having the rooftop, but it does a lot for you. I mean, it is a magnetic space, and actually, yep. I think I saw that the Omaha Food Livers Group ran a poll, and you guys were voted as the best uh, rooftop patio in Omaha. What is it about that space that just attracts people? It's a rooftop patio. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, the, but, there, but there are other rooftop patios. Like, as you were designing it, what elements were you like, this is going to bring people in, other than it's just a rooftop patio, but people are going to come here and be like, hey, this isn't just a rooftop patio. This is a cool rooftop patio. So I was going to say we're the only brewery that has one, but Upstream Downtown technically has a small upstairs patio they do. space. I don't know how much it gets utilized. Um, but. I don't know. I think... I think just the downtown Elkhorn area in general brings people in just because it does have like that, that small town feel still, even though we're currently, we're just constantly being enveloped by the city. Um, so being able to sit on a rooftop down there and choose from 19 different beers and from the menu items, um, it just kind of sets us apart from. It is aesthetically pleasing though, too. You know, I, the sails we put up and the string lighting and stuff, we can change the colors on our lights. And I think the garage style doors that we can open up or. They're pretty cool. The wind, the the shade and wind sails definitely those those change it up. You don't have to necessarily sit in the scorching sun. Um, so hanging those is not fun. I'm gonna say that right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we do it ourselves. I'm on a ladder hovering 30 feet over the alley at some points. My wife loves it was that. 90 some degrees that day, and oh the gosh, wind was the wind gusts were extremely strong. Kyle almost went off the rooftop <laughs> on the ladder. So don't say that. We don't want OSHA coming. <laughs> so ne- next time, listeners, you're on the patio at Jukes and you're being protected by one of those sails, know what went into that and appreciate it. Just I put that my much life more. on the line, <laughs> friends. <laughs> no, I we're we're safe about it, but it is kind of wacky getting up on the ladder to do that. So, but yeah, I think just the food and menu item and being able to sit on that patio down in downtown Elkhorn, it's, it's desirable. I don't know. So you bought the building in 2015. The brewery opens in 2019. That's four years of tearing down and building up from scratch. A lot of hard work. You said a lot of meetings with the architect. 
So take me to that first day. You open the doors for the first time and Jukes Ale Works is like a real thing to the public. What do you remember about that day? <laughs> uh, those abs- soft openings were chaos. chaos. I mean, and those were slightly controlled, right? Your soft openings were your family and friends, industry night, all that stuff. But, you know, your staff is adjusting. You have some people who have never been in the service industry before. I mean, myself included. I, I worked at Charleston's when I was 19 years old. I was on the Salad Expo for maybe... <laughs> eight months or so, but I had never really, really been in the service industry outside of that. So it, we were fairly new to that aspect of it as owners even. Um, but God, that first soft opening, we probably had 30 members of staff there that day just to try to learn the ropes and everything. And it, we had a very expansive kitchen menu compared to what we have right now, probably three or four times the size. So, oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. We paired it way down. steaks. We paired it way down. Jake looks like he's planks, having PTSD right salmon. now. Oh, God, yeah. Everything, yeah. everything on that menu was, yeah. So soft openings themselves were even slightly chaotic. But then when we got down to, you know, that first week actually opening to the public, for the first few weeks, at least, I mean, you could hardly walk through the place. We had so many people just, you know, it's new. Everyone wants to check it out. And we would staff our, we staff both floors, two bartenders per floor. Now, you know, we, we never go more than one bartender on a floor. So, but they were just, there were people lined up waiting for beers or flying through beer. I think when we first opened out of our 19 taps, we had seven of them full, right? When we first opened? Yeah, we seven? had seven, seven beers on tap when we first yep. opened. So, Kyle, we, which that's another nightmare that Kyle and I had to deal with before opening. We had a lot of issues with our equipment. Um, it was a whirlwind. Like you asked what we, what I, like if you asked me specifically what I remember from opening, I nothing. <laughs> like <laughs> just running around like chickens with our heads cut off, man. And like we had, I had a newborn daughter. My, my wife uh, gave birth to our daughter literally 10 days before we opened oh, the space. She was born September 14th. We opened September 24th. So like, Oh, yeah, we got out of the hospital and went straight to a soft opening the same day. Like, it's been mad, and it's been madness since. But, uh, yeah, those first few weeks was just like, ugh. It was, don't get me wrong, it was fun, but it was like no sleep, strung out, like probably drinking too much beer. It was a lot. Kyle and I brewed six days in a row just to get our tanks full and try to get ready for opening, and those were 17-plus-hour days. We were lots of issues. I mean, we were taking naps on our pallets of grain and stuff. It was <laughs> grain naps. Yeah, a lot of stress. I still do that. Opening up and everything, but yeah, things are going well today, I guess. So Yeah, it was good. It. We're good, man. And I was never destined to be a front-of-house manager. I had had no experience with that whatsoever. There were shoes that need filled, and he... Yeah, them. I just kind of had to step up and take that role. And I mean, I was not the one leading the charge, but I learned a lot from the people before me. And so. Yeah. At, at what point did things start to slow down? And it was like, OK, this is no longer just a maelstrom, but this is this is manageable. We feel like we know what we're doing. Um, or are we not there yet? Oh, well, let's just talk about the fact that we were open for six months and then COVID. So. That, Things that's slowed down yes. real hard, real fast, and we were still in our infancy of trying to, like, figure our space out and, like, the operation of it, and then had to literally, like, thanks to our cousin Dre, I made, a uh, like, an online ordering system overnight, and... Um, well, that first weekend of curbside, it was chaotic. The phones were ringing. We had two lines, and the phones were ringing off the hook, some people were finally getting through saying, I've been trying to call for 45 minutes to an hour, couldn't get through. So 
that was the first weekend of curbside. And then so right after that weekend hit, we said, okay, we need an online ordering system right now because the phone lines are just not working out for us the way they should be. So, But thanks yeah. for the support during that. Like, it didn't slow down for us, really. I shouldn't say it slowed down then. Um, I mean, we were all there, <laughs> like, six days a week, 14 hours a day. It was all of our... Salary people there basically running the show. Um, but we've got like vets who've worked for us since day one now who like they give us they, they give us the comfortability of being able to leave for a weekend to go to like a concert or, you know, so things have slowed down in that sense where like we can actually take a family vacation every now and then. Not very often, uh, but often enough to gain a little bit of sanity here and there, you know. And you're worried, you know, coming back from curbside, we had, I don't know, probably 30 some front of house staff people plus seven or eight in the kitchen at least. And you're worried about once you reopen, you know, are these people going to stay with us? Are they going to go elsewhere, find something new? And at the time we were pooling all of our tips from all of our curbside orders and divvying them out based on percentage of labor hours they had worked in the past. So we kept paying them out. I know they're collecting unemployment, but it was just a little bonus for them too. So uh, our turnover rate has been very low. And I think, you know, hope, hopefully it's just because our staff appreciated working for us. So we like to have fun, but I think they like working for us. We're wacky, and we keep things interesting, I'm sure. Yeah. They'd probably attest to that. And as you said, you know, yes, a little bit of a maelstrom, trying to figure things out still. We're, you know, there's just little headaches constantly that they happen. Yeah, but anyone in this this industry will tell you the same thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So things slow down, but they're not actually slowing down. (laughs) Yep. So, which is good. I think I could talk to you guys for hours. You are just very interesting. You have all kinds of stories, and I would love to chat more. We are running up against time, but I can't get you out of here without asking this one final question. Obviously, we've got three brothers sitting here, mom and dad, heavily involved in the business. If you go on um, if you go on Juke's website, you've got pictures of wives and kids. I mean, family is very, very – I mean, it's the first part of the name of the establishment. Like – how important is that family element to the success of the business? Well, I will say we certainly butt heads. That's definitely a thing, but it comes from a good place. You know, we care about each other and our staff and our guests, of course, too. Without them, we wouldn't be there, but I don't know. We just try to try to make it all work together and have a good time with it. But like I said, the butting heads comes from a good place, though. <laughs> right. There's there's constant arguments and struggles, but we've been doing it our entire lives as brothers. And um, so one little combative effort can turn into something great literally like five minutes later. So I don't know. Um, we don't hold grudges. We get over it pretty quick. pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. So family, man. We love each other. We may like be brawling one day, but the next day it's like having, having beers and hugging it out, you know? So. <laughs> well, there you go you you know that you can come down to jukes and you can have a good time you can just feel the personality of the family i think throughout the business you can have a barrel aged beer you can have a peanut butter and jelly beer you can smoke yourself out with a nashville hot chicken sandwich if you want to you can have the salted caramel win- like it's like a choose your own adventure book like there's so many different paths you can go down at jukes and and i would just i would recommend anyone listening to this check out jukes like i don't live near Elkhorn. It's probably a 20, 25 minute drive. I've been down there several times in the last couple weeks because it's just enjoyable. Like I I like the food. I like the beer, but it's fun to just go hang out. It's one of those places. And I think you guys' personalities 
really play into that very well. So Brad, Jake, Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you having us. We appreciate it. It's been fun. And Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.